What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Darren Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson, Joe Rass, of course. We've got Jays we've gotten for days. Josh, how you doing? I'm so happy for Mac McClung, man. Dude, Mac Daddy. I'm 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 gonna have to look. I'm a little disappointed I didn't look to see if his middle name starts with a J, but I'm going. Well, this is I, I love this. Instead of like Matthew Blank McClung, like Matthew nickname uh, middle name yeah. McClung, it's Matthew quotations Mac McClung. I'm all in on that. Um I do not see a I do not see a middle name for Mac. We might just have to call him like J period Mac or something for <laughs> yeah, to get him in there. But I've been trying to tell y'all about Mac McClung every time. Yeah, I've been trying to tell y'all. And now um, I saw a tweet that he, that Mac McClung's Philadelphia 76ers jersey is going to be the most worn jersey on Fraternity Row for the next year. And I was like, that's probably pretty spot yeah, on. Yeah, about right. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but absolutely electric. And, and that dude's putting up numbers. He has legitimately turned himself. No, okay, we're talking G League here, mm-hmm. but that dude has legitimately turned himself into a professional point guard, which is something I was never sure was going to happen, but had to happen if he was going to get to a point where he was bouncing, you know, hanging around in the NBA. Right? Mm-hmm. He's just he's just not big enough to play the two. So just just credit to him for sticking it, you know, just hanging in there, and he he seems to understand what his role in the NBA would be, and is doing everything he possibly can to make that happen and to carve out a place for himself. And then of course he had, you know, he always had this in his bag and he got to, this is one of the benefits of nobody wanting to do the dunk contest is we get, you know, some elite dunkers in there who aren't elite NBA players. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I totally get the 18 to 18, three and five, by the way, is what he's averaging in the G league right now for the Delaware blue coats. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right that one. You're you're right that that's like him averaging five assists. I'm looking for his turnovers. It looks like he's averaging four point seven assists this year, four point seven assists to one point seven turnovers. So, like you said, G League, and there are plenty of guys who play only in the G League for their entire career, or at least most of it. And then you get guys who are 35 and get their first like 10 day contract in the NBA. Um, but but you're right. He has put himself into slightly like I, I I hesitate to do the whole Mac McClung is an NBA player because I'm not totally sure he is quite yet. But the point being is is that he is he's definitely trans transforming his game from what he and he's also shooting fifty percent from the mm-hmm. three point line, which might be even more important. Yeah, he all of a sudden has become an incredibly efficient player. Like yeah. if you can if you can take care of the basketball and knock down three pointers as a backup point guard, like yep. there's probably a spot for you in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is that I think, like I I understand that we would all love for Zion Williamson and John Morant to go toe to toe in the NBA's dunk contest. Like I get that, I understand, and we probably don't want Julius Randle in the three point contest, um, but. I think there's and like the marketing, the marketing you know logistics of it is could could be better, right? But what you don't get because you could force people to guys to do to to play in the dunk contest, but like nobody's going to put the effort into the dunk, dunk contest pre dunk contest than Mac McClung is mm-hmm. because it's really hard to to show up with dunks that people haven't seen before, and he produced some dunks that people hadn't seen before. 
And and if you're getting that in every dunk contest, just dunks that that are being made on the first attempt, first of all, and second of all, dunks that are at least variations of things, you know, at the very least variations of things you've seen before and not the exact same things, that's ultimately a win for the hour and a half that the dunk contest is actually happening rather than just the big stars actually in the moment. Because like leading up to it, the the hype might be better, but I'm not sure there's going to be a better dunk contest than than what you got, you know, between Trey Murphy and and Mac McClung. I'm just not mm-hmm. sure that I think that's just what the event is at this point. Yeah, and he is he is the when I saw that he was doing it, that was my first thought is he is the per- perfect person. You couldn't have picked somebody better, right? Right. If you can't get the big names, and I also saw. <laughs> By winning that dunk contest, he almost matched his career earnings. <laughs> What's the payout for the dunk contest? Hundred grand. Hundred grand. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. So um, he has that. I mean, he just doubled his career earnings essentially. So there's that part of it too. How much money would you have to make for the winner of the dunk contest to get people lining up to do the dunk contest? Oh, geez. I mean, you got to be talking well over a million. Yeah, multiple yeah, I'm millions. Thinking like I'm thinking like five to ten yeah. for people to actually be. For you having to make decisions about who's going to be in the dunk contest rather than yeah. asking people to be in it. Right. For for John not to just say, I'm not doing the dunk contest. Right. Because I had assigned a you know $200 million extension. I don't, like yeah. five to $10 million more million is not going to change my, my lifestyle. But for a guy like Mac McClung, like adding, doubling your, your career earnings thus far, that's, that's legit for sure. Um, and for any guy who's been only in the G League at this point. But shots to Mac McClung. I didn't watch a single second in the All-Star game. Did you? No. Yeah, I didn't watch a single <laughs> second. Granted, I was doing other things, so I didn't just actively choose not to. But, like, I I didn't. I, at one point, I thought, oh, right, I think the, the, the All-Star game's on right now. And I just didn't had no interest in actually going to find I'm, it. I'm a much bigger fan of Saturday than Sunday. Always have been. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Just take the skills contest out, though. It's just kind of. A, I like the skills contest. Eh, I like the skill <laughs> contest a little less every year. Anyways, you gotta appreciate uh, the fundamentals. I suppose in between in between the all star dunk contest, we're appreciating the fundamentals and the and the three point shootout. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I would argue a three point shot is fundamentals at this point. That's, uh, that's fair. Yeah, it, it, you're just basically watching, you know, shoot around, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Alrighty, let's get into college hoops from the weekend. Uh, we have the NCAA's top 16 seeds for the NCAA tournament. We'll hop into that. We had a a lopsided game in in the way that most games aren't lopsided, and it was lopsided on both sides of the equation at different points during the game in the Big 12 between Kansas and Baylor. But before we get to those things, we'll hop into winners and losers from the week every Monday morning. And this February 20th, Monday, is no different. Josh, who's your winner? Northwestern. Northwestern. Okay. All right. You know, picked up another win over one of the best teams in the Big Ten to sort of complete their demolition of the top of the conference by beating Indiana. 3-0 against the state of Indiana this year. mm -hmm. 3-0. Demolished Iowa by 20. That's five wins in a row. I made them my winner because... Two weeks ago, it was still like they got to make sure they get into the tournament thing, right? They were definitely in a good spot. Sure. But also, we're having a very different conversation had they, you know, lost to Purdue and lost to Indiana. Mm-hmm. 
And all of a sudden now, not only did they get those wins and then take care of business against Iowa in dominant fashion, now we're talking about, well, just how high of a seed can they get? You know, they're they're making a case to be the second Big Ten team kind of off the board from the selection committee perspective. They're not quite there yet, I would argue. But if, you know, if, if Indiana gets knocked out early in the Big Ten tournament, Northwestern goes to the semis and loses to Purdue or something, it's just a very different conversation. It's just just how far can they go with this thing? And for a, again, a program that has made one NCAA tournament appearance, uh-huh. that's... That's a pretty that's a pretty big deal. So just giving them credit for building on top of what they have already done and now it's you're I mean, this is the best season in program history. Full stop. And mm-hmm. right, they're beating everybody else at the top of the conference. It's it's just been remarkable. And so I from a helping your NCAA tournament resume perspective, maybe there was a team that did more and I think you're gonna get to them in terms of what it means for their NCAA tournament hopes. But from a stock perspective, I would argue Northwestern won the week, and that's why they're my winner. Yeah, Northwestern 20-7 and seven now, 7-4 seven and four in quad one. No way that Northwestern's ever had a year they have more than seven quad one wins, right? Like, even, like even if you kind of, like, retrofit the, the season to the net ranking system, no way, right? I don't think so. Like, there's no way a team that had never made the tournament until, what, five years ago? Was it five or six years ago? Uh, yeah. Had ever had more than what would have been equivalent to seven quad one wins. It's really hard to not get into the tournament if, you have, or if you're seven and four in quad one and then ten and six in quad one and two. But yeah, I don't, I don't remember. That would be hard to, that would be hard to, to quantify, but... Um, Anyways, the point, and I was going to, where I was getting to, um, they went from 43rd to 39th in the net. They're now, they're still behind Rutgers and Illinois in the Big Ten in the net, as well as Maryland, Indiana, and Purdue, of course. Indiana is still 18th in the net, um, even though, like, I will continue to not totally understand the net. Like, like for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it, but, like, there's Western... Northwestern doesn't have a quad three or four loss. They have more quad one wins than Indiana, a better overall record. They have two more quad two losses, but they're 21 spots behind Indiana. Right. I don't, if, I don't totally understand how it works. And I, I know that part of it, like, right. Part of it is just where you started, but they're six and two on the road. They're one and one in neutrals. Indiana is four and six on the road and one and one in neutrals. Um, they have a better record at home at 14 and one, but like, um, I will, I will admit, I don't totally get, especially how they're like behind us four and six and quad one and 17 and 10 Rutgers team, like a full 10 spots behind. Right. I don't totally understand how it works. I'm glad that there are other things that play into your, your seating than just the, your net ranking. But the, the eye test for me, just looking at the, you know, graphic of the net rankings, uh, looks a little bit backwards, but none, nonetheless, we're we're past the. Hey, I wonder. Uh, Northwestern still needs to finish strong to to solidify their tournament chances. Um, we're we're past that at this point. Yeah, 
there are the three best resumes in the Big Ten are clear. You can debate whether you want IU or Northwestern second, but nobody is. It's one, two, three. Those are your top three seeds from the Big Ten right now. And they, this is what I thought, and I wanted to confirm it. So they were ten and eight when they made the tournament the other time in the Big Ten. So I think you're right. They were just good enough. You know, they won the games they were supposed to. Got a couple fine wins here or there. So this at eleven and five, this is also their best Big Ten season ever. Right. For yeah. sure. Uh, Kentucky's my winner. I figured. Uh, wins over number 10 Tennessee and at Mississippi State. That's two quad one wins. They doubled their quad one wins on the season. Now four and seven in those opportunities. Nine and eight in quad one and two combined. Um, an absolutely massive week for a team dancing around the last four in bubble conversation. Like that is the type of week if they if they end up in the tournament. This is going to be the week that we look back on and say, okay, that's the week that put them in position to be in position. And as long as they finish strong, and I don't, and I didn't write down what they have left, and I'll find it here in a second. I'll let you respond and find it. But, um, but a really massive week for Kentucky and a team that is quietly, you know, they're 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 clearly not an elite basketball team. But a team that has, for the most part, the last you know six weeks or so, done done some good things, and then you have a really strong week. Right, the Tennessee win was at Rupp. Mississippi State was on the road, um, so you get another road win there, and um, uh, just a really good week for John Calipari's team. And they re- they needed it in a very big way because you know you lose both of those games, you're two and nine in quad one. The uh, the situation is much much different. Um, even if you split the games to get both of them this week, uh, absolutely huge. Yeah, and now you've got a season sweep of Tennessee, obviously, to kind of build build your portfolio around. And yeah, now it's back. <laughs> we're back to kind of where we were a few weeks ago, where Kentucky just needs to do enough the rest of the way, right? They have the foundation they need, and there isn't that much time left to mess it up. <laughs> there is still time, but right, they went from. We had the same conversation the last time they beat Tennessee. Well, maybe that's going to, you know, save their season, make sure they get in the NCAA tournament, and then they fell apart and then picked it back up and got themselves right back on the bubble and then beat Tennessee again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're kind of going in this cycle here. You just got to make sure that, right, they don't have to do anything spectacular the rest of the way. They need to just not fall apart the way that they did the last time after they beat Tennessee. But absolutely, in terms of consequences for whether you make the NCAA tournament or not, from a positive perspective, it's it's not close in terms of who had the best week. Uh, Florida at Florida versus Auburn versus Vanderbilt and at Arkansas is what you've got left. And honestly, you'd probably wish that that was a little bit stronger of a schedule than it actually has ended up being. If you're looking at the end of the season, I mean, Auburn is still top 30 in the net, but Arkansas not having the season that, you know, for one reason or another, but Arkansas is still 19th in the net. So there are still, there are still quad one opportunities there. Vanderbilt at home is the one you probably can't afford um, or that you'd like to, at the very least, you'd like to avoid um, in terms of getting docked in the net. But as long as they as long as long they are solid the rest of the way, maybe grab an extra one in the SEC tournament to, to really solidify things and make you feel better on Selection Sunday, they, uh, they're in a pretty good spot. Um, they're now since January 14th. Um, they are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and three since January 14th. And that includes two wins over Tennessee, 
um, and a win over Mississippi State, a win over Florida. Um, they have beat Vanderbilt at uh, in Nashville already. So still, right, when you go up and down the schedule, you still don't have a ton of great wins. Um, those those Tennessee wins are really carrying the load for you uh, in terms of uh, key wins perspective. So still not a ton of margin for error. Of course, it's a bubble team. There never is. But uh, on the right side of the bubble on this Monday morning as a result of the last week. You're a loser. North Carolina. Okay. All right. <laughs> this, this is the one that actually – this is the actual correct answer. Like usually I think there's an argument for several different teams, and I like the Northwestern thing if for no other reason other than it's Northwestern solidifying themselves in the NCAA tournament, and that's just fun. Um, but I think this was the right, the right answer this week. A crazy stat, and I'll let you talk. 364 days apart, North Carolina was 45th in the net and had zero quad one ones on February 19th of this year or February 18th of this year and February 19th a year ago. Um, kind of crazy shouts to our buddy Lucas Harkins for that one, but, um, a, a, a little bit of a deja vu moment here, but I think we would both agree a little bit different considering the, they've now lost five of their last six. Yeah. And I will throw out an honorable mention before we talk about North Carolina, and that is Clemson. Mm. I mean, in any other week when this doesn't happen in North Carolina, losing to Louisville probably does it for you as, you know, a team that is by no means guaranteed to make the NCAA tournament and quite quite possibly could miss the NCAA tournament because of that loss. That was not a good thing either. But, yeah, you get Miami at home, NC State on the road. Right, you have your two two opportunities for really good wins. And you come out of it with zero quad one wins for the season, as you said. You're now five hundred in ACC play without having really beaten anybody, especially on the road. And five hundred in the ACC doesn't carry the same weight as, you know, five hundred in the SEC or five hundred in the Big Twelve, right? Mm-hmm. If they don't make the tournament, this is probably the week you look back on as to the reason why. Or as the, maybe, that's not necessarily fair, as the biggest missed opportunity in terms of changing the trajectory of this thing. Because even if you get one of these games, it's a different conversation. And, you know, they hung in there against NC State, and then NC State just kind of exploded for a brief second, and the game was over. (laughs) And shout out to NC State and Kevin Keats. That's a that's a special win for that program that is just clearly better than both North Carolina and Duke, mm-hmm. which is one of the more remarkable sentences to be said about this season, I feel like. So good for the Wolfpack as well. Those guards are outstanding, and North Carolina earned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, this is kind of the – this is the nail in the coffin of not their NCAA tournament hopes. There are still ways for them to get into the tournament. But this is kind of the nail in the coffin of why this year on February 20th is different than last year on February 20th. They lost to Pitt on Wednesday, February 16th last year, and they had won six of their last seven prior to that loss. They lost to Pitt on February 16th, then rattled off six straight wins, including a win at Duke and against Virginia, and then lost to Virginia Tech to end the season. And at that point, they were pretty much in the tournament at that point. But... So so 
from a where are we right this second? Is there still time for them to go on a run? Like, yes, there's still time for them to go on a run. But the form was clearly going in the right direction last year before people kind of realized really that North Carolina was was rolling. And this year it's the complete opposite, right? Um, instead of winning six of their last seven, they've lost five of their last six. Um, they've had games where they couldn't play defense. They've had games where their offense fell off the you know left side of the map. Um, you know, you go from losing by one against Pitt and scoring 64 and losing by six against Duke and scoring 57 to giving up 92 points in a seven point loss. Then you have the Clemson win right there in the middle, um, because that might be the only other team in the ACC trying to fight against their, their aspirations more than North Carolina. And, you know, the last seven days, you just saw a team that's just not quite good enough, right? They're just, they're just not there you know, two eight point losses to Miami and NC state. I actually think that's, that's quite fitting that both of them were just these eight point losses that you didn't really have a chance at the very end. And you're just not quite as good as some of these teams. And you're supposed to be better than all of them, which is in a nutshell, kind of to your point about NC state being clearly better than they are. That's just kind of the perfect way to embody the season for North Carolina is they're just not that good and there are teams that you would have never in a million years thought were going to be better than them this season and and they are and now you're six, 16 and 11 and and eight and eight in the ACC could be the first team ever to be a preseason number one team in this tournament that is a crazy thing to say that is a great cra- like 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 to not be to by definition not have one of the 68 best resumes after starting as a preseason number one team in the country is crazy town. Maybe not by definition. I guess by definition it would be what the 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 34, the 36 best resumes, right? Cuz you get 32. Yeah, yeah, you can have a whole conversation about that, yeah. Right. So, right. Of the 34 36 spots that are there for teams that are getting in based on resume. As of right now, you don't have one of those 34 resumes, right? To make it very black and white, of course, is um is pretty impressive. 5 and 11 in quad 1 and 2 and 0 and 8 in quad 1 right now Notre Dame UVA Florida State and Duke left on their regular season schedule by the way both of those games against Duke and Virginia are are at home so need them there's both. something yeah now that probably, means probably. that you're gonna go on the road to Notre Dame and Florida State and like you can't lose either of those games right. against two bad ACC teams um, you can't afford to do that and um, I don't have the utmost faith in them to to do either of those things um okay anything else on winners and losers no let's jump in kansas and baylor one of the more lopsided games between two top 10 teams i've ever seen and not in the one team dominated the other oh no one team dominated both teams happened to dominate in this game on on one side of of halftime or the other uh the final score here is kansas 87 baylor 71 uh, Baylor was up forty-five to thirty-two at halftime. Kind of the flipping of stats is pretty is pretty um, amusing here. Um, and then Kansas put together one of the more impressive halves of the entire season, scoring fifty-five and and outscoring them by what is that twenty twenty-four? No, twenty-nine, twenty-nine. Um, and they win by sixteen. There are lots of stats here, but I'll get your gut reaction first. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just couldn't believe what I was watching the entire right. game. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually laughed out loud multiple times in the first half. <laughs> specifically, you, mean speci- on, you mean on Baylor's 9 of 14 from the three-point line? First yeah, half? specifically Keontae George, who just pulled up from you know deep NBA range a couple times. One of them was an and one. Yeah. He got fouled and still hit the shot. I mean, there's just nothing. I mean, I under- Now, part of this was, Baylor got to the offensive glass. Kansas made a couple defensive mistakes. And so all of a sudden you got three good looks from three, right? So Cryer hits right. one, Flagler hits one, and all of a sudden they're going. Keontae uh-huh. George makes one, and now he's rolling. And when he's rolling, I mean, he was just taking heat check after heat check, and he was making them. Uh-huh. They were bad shots, and it just didn't matter. He went into Steph Curry mode where every shot is a good shot because it's coming from his hand. Right. And Those three guards had 45 in the first half, by the way. Yes, they scored. 40, 42 in the first half. Yeah, there was a while where they had scored. In the Into the 30s, they had scored every single point. Yeah. yeah. Jalen Bridges knocked down the, the, the lone three he took. And <laughs> right. that, those were the only three points not from the back. Right, right, right. The, right. the other points were another three-pointer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and then Kansas started playing really good defense, and Baylor just didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. The, the real thing I want to talk about, though, is even in that first half, I was just sitting there going, this Baylor defense is bad, which is not a new point, but just it got glossed over because they were hitting every shot they took uh-huh. and looked like the best team in the country because they were just knocking down everything. But Kansas, and Kansas was getting... Couldn't, and Kansas couldn't hit the broad side of the ball. Yes, right. Kansas was shooting the ball really poorly. Yeah. Yeah. But they were getting good looks. They were getting fouled inside. Just fundamentally, the defense was awful. And then the second half, Baylor stops getting easy baskets. Kansas stops making defensive mistakes. Kansas starts getting out in transition because Baylor turns the ball over. And there, I mean, there was just no defensive resistance whatsoever. Their mm-hmm. on-ball defense was atrocious. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter who it was, who was attacking the basket. It was following KJ Adams. It was Dewan Harris and Jalen Wilson blowing by people. And they had held six of their last eight opponents under 70 points. During this win streak, they've had a couple bad defensive performances, but they'll score 84 and it's fine because they'll win, you know, 84 76. This was back to Baylor at the beginning of the season where we just both kind of said, well, they're not good enough defensively. Because mm-hmm. in that first half, I was really wondering if we needed to have a conversation about Baylor being one of the front runners to win the national championship. Mm-hmm. My hesitation was that was I still don't like what I see defensively, and then the second half happened, and yeah, we're not which having I that conversation. Have, which I would have immediately written off just based on their 85th at Kempom and right. being the worst Big Twelve defense and conference play, right at Kempom. Um, real quick, these stats are funny. So in the first half, Baylor was 16 of 31 from the floor and Kansas was 10 of 27 and one of 11 from deep. In the second half, Kansas was 19 of 30 from the field and Baylor was 10 of 28 from the field and one of 11 from deep. Anyways. Um, yeah, you know, it, Baylor is the perfect example because in, in Jonathan, Jonathan Chamochachwa coming back and bringing some of that defensive versatility right. back is certainly helpful. But what you're seeing with Baylor right now is, is just how important and a point of attack defender is. And they just don't have any of them. Mm-hmm. There's only just like on the offensive end, I'm very much in the, there's only so much you can do if your best player is a, you know, traditional big um, you're seeing that with Purdue. 
on a nightly basis right now is that even if you have the best player in the country, if your guards aren't playing well, then there's not a ton. Like you have a very real ceiling. Um, but when when the guy that kind of is the anchor of your defense and really like the entire perimeter is a negative defensively. You would agree with that? Yes. Like there's no, like none of them are like a net, not even a net neutral. They're just not good defensively. Mm-hmm. And there's only so much that you can do if you're Scott Drew with defensive game planning or, 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 and, and it's not like Jonathan Chamuachacho is, is absolutely dominant defensively, right? It's like, he's a good defender and a versatile one and super important, but it's not like he's going to make up for all of those shortcomings that happen elsewhere defensively. And that's just like, the unfortunate reality is not that like, it's not like postseason defense is going to change that. You know, it's not like locking in defensively a little bit more is going to change that. Oh, yeah, no. Right? They just don't have the horses for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the thing that ultimately that ultimately kills Baylor. Because I had, and I actually had this written down, like, we're in a season right now that I'm not 100% confident in anybody's ability to win six straight games in the NCAA tournament. Like, exactly. zero. Not a, single team in the, not a single team in the country am I, like, I would bet on that team to win six straight games. Not a single one, not even Alabama. Mm-hmm. And and Kansas showed in the second half why they should be on the short list of teams that that you could believe in to do that. Um, but but when it comes to Baylor, like that offense is spectacular, and you like do i have faith that that offense could be good enough for six straight games yes but i'm not sure the defense could be good enough for six straight games to get them all the way there um because there will be a night where the the offense is just good not great and i'm not sure they're equipped to to win that game in march this time around yeah and it and it's weird because they've almost been doing that right it was 10 of 11 coming into this Against, yeah, and I just don't care. Right, which is against what is essentially NCAA tournament teams, right? Yeah. <laughs> they won six straight against West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Arkansas. Yeah, so that's so that's not what? exactly... There are five tournament teams there? Four? Yeah, and not exactly... Outside of Kansas, you're not talking about, you know, Elite Eight, Final Four caliber teams. So Other than that, they don't have a six-game winning streak this year. Right. Yeah, just consistently over the last, you know, five, six weeks. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. They've even though the defense the defense has been good enough until until this game. But yeah, even watching that first half, it's I was having a real mental hurdle of maybe I need to get on board with this again and go back to my original preseason stance on this. <laughs> but I was also watching what was happening and going, I I just don't think I can get there because they can't guard mm-hmm. people. Which mm-hmm. is again not new. It, yeah, and then the other part of this is obviously Kansas really needed to make sure they didn't lose this game at home, particularly because right up next in a matter of hours as we're recording this is TCU on the road, and you still got to play at Texas. Mm-hmm. You needed to defend home court because you're. I I feel like this. Well, Baylor still has a shot if they can pull things back together, but. It really looks like this is going to come down to Kansas and, and Texas. And a Kansas team that has struggled at points on the road still has two really difficult road games left. And, you know, so te- 
it just gets weirder and weirder in the Big 12, and I still don't exactly just no, no one of these teams is that much better than the other one. I feel like we're going to get some kind of tie. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it was an important one. There's there's plenty of of close uh, of big games left for Kansas. Two two of their last four, um, Kansas and Texas. Right now, the Big Twelve looks as such. You know, this would be really really intriguing if Baylor had found a way to win that game, because mm-hmm. then you're looking at them at ten and four and Kansas at nine and five. Um, but it's Kansas and Texas atop the the Big Twelve at ten and four, Baylor at nine and five, and really. Do they end with Texas? That's right, right? Oh, that's so lit. That's so lit that those two teams are going to play in the regular season. Uh, but it's kind of faded into into that, which I think is is interesting that all of the teams that have kind of threatened as the best team in the conference this year, um, whether it be you – know, and TCU's kind of struggled with injuries. I mean, they've been really, really good when Mike Miles is on the floor, yep. like really, really good. And them healthy for an entire Big 12 conference schedule um, – I think there's definitely a conversation that that seven and seven team is more like is more like nine and five, um, if not if not better than that. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. but right, Iowa State kind of knocked on the door. Kansas State kind of knocked on the door. And it's right, all of those teams are are really really high quality teams. Um, I haven't mentioned a team that's outside of the top twenty four at Kempom yet. And um, but here we are, kind of at the end of it with the team that's probably the most talented in the conference or the two most talented teams in the conference and, you know, Kansas right there uh, as, as they always are. And probably looking at a, a, at a, a showdown on what, what is that on March 4th um, at the, at the Moda center, man, can we go Moda, Modi, Moody, Moody, right. Moody, Moda, Moody, Moody Moda, center? Moda. Moody Center, yes, sorry, the Moody Center. That's going to be that's going to be absolutely lit. But a bunch of teams kind of knocking on the door in the Big Twelve this year, and all of them are spectacular. But here we are, you know, two and a half weeks or so out from out from the end of the regular season, and there Kansas and Texas are right there, and Baylor is right behind them, kind of like we thought it might end up being at the at the beginning of the season. Yep. Took a while to get there, but we got there. <laughs> we did. We did indeed. Um, speaking of only two and a half weeks out from the NCAA tournaments, top sixteen seeds were announced from the selection committee this weekend. Um, and here's what it looks like. Okay, number one, number one overall seed is Alabama, followed by Houston, Purdue, and Kansas. Uh, on the two line, you have two more Big Twelve teams in Baylor and Texas, along with two Pac twelve teams in UCLA and Arizona. Um, and then the number three seeds, Virginia, Tennessee, Iowa State, and Kansas State. If you're keeping count, that's that's five Big 12 teams on the top three seed lines. Um, and then the number four seeds, Indiana joins Purdue as the other Big 10 team. Xavier Marquette representing the Big East on the four line. And then Gonzaga um, was the 15th overall seed, Xavier being the 16th. What say you? Gut reactions? Do you care at all? Give me what you got. Yeah, I was upset about some things. I care about this, but I'm glad you were. Talk to me. <laughs> I just have some fundamental issues with some of this. Now, doesn't the question is, does this actually matter by the at the end of the day, right? Because from a, you know, our friend Lucas will tell you, right? The, the bracketologist will tell you this is kind of an indication of where things are going in terms of what the 
committee is prioritizing, right? Mm-hmm. The top four, I would have had the exact same thing. No issues there. To me, Alabama has the best resume. Houston's been, from a wins-loss perspective, right? They just kind of don't – never drop too far. They lose, and then they win five in a row. Mm. They should be two because Purdue slipped up recently with those road games in the Big Ten. And Kansas, yes, there's a lot of losses there, but also Kansas played arguably the best schedule in the country and are right there in the best conference in the country. They're just – they have to be one of the top four seats at this moment in time. Do you know how many quad one wins Kansas has? It's 13 or something, isn't it? Yeah, they're 13 yeah. and five. Yeah. They have four – Purdue is second at nine and four. They have yeah. four more wins than the second most. That is, that is the nature of being 10 and four in the Big 12. And playing and Kansas' is non-conference schedule. Right, right. Yeah. You, you add that as well, but it's lovely. When you look at the, the most quad one wins in the country, um, four of the top five are Big 12 wins. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- they have to be there too just based on essentially that. My issues – why is Arizona ahead of UCLA? That just makes no sense to me. Uh, well, good sir. It's got to be because of quad one wins. They're seven and two in quad one to UCLA's five and four. Yeah. So the two, two so they're thirteen and four in quad one and two, and UCLA is twelve and four. Yeah. Which means so. UCLA has lost to better teams. True. They also don't have as many quad one wins. Right. They also have right. a worse winning percentage against those good teams. They've both played nine they've both played nine quad one wins, quad one games, and Arizona is two games better in that category than than UCLA. Right, right, right. And th- this is where I just I feel like disagree with most people. Because to me, the flip side to valuing quad one wins and right these valuing all the high quality wins, that means that you are also rewarding those teams. If assuming right, you're you're similar in the wins loss standpoint, that also means that Arizona's losses are worse than UCLA's, and that part of it never gets talked about. Now, I they do play again if I remember correctly, so this could very easily flip. It's going to take care of itself. I just I want UCLA's consistency. I mean, two of those losses came in that tournament, and other than that, they've been outstanding. My bigger issue. They also did lose the head-to-head. Yes. Which I'm not right. sure how much that matters, but they right. did lose the head-to-head. Which, to me, goes back into UCLA's column of, right, that means Arizona lost to somebody not named Arizona, and UCLA's losses to Arizona. Mm-hmm. I feel very strongly about this, and nobody else seems to care, so I'm going to bring it up. My bigger issue. Because it's 16 teams on February 20th. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm just talking about generally as a philosophy. Everybody okay. values all of these wins. It doesn't talk about the bad losses. Yeah. No, right. This is just a fun experiment. To, yeah. The one thing I really had an issue with. There should not, under any circumstances, be multiple Big East teams ahead of Creighton on this list. If you want to say Marquette... I've got no issue with that. I might disagree with you if I really thought about it, but that's fine. Based on the schedule Creighton has played and the context of the season and what Creighton has done with Ryan Kalkbrenner healthy, which is in theory the team you're going to get in the NCAA tournament, they at this, at the very least are the second Big East team. That is the one issue I really had with this list. Can I ask you why? 
they're worse than both of those teams in quad one and two. Right, because they lost a bunch of quad one games without Kalkbrenner. And so, they had that. So TCU is spectacular without Mike Miles, with, with Mike Miles on the floor. Should they be in this list too? Because their performance with Mike Miles suggests they should. Yes, except for their record isn't. My point is that Creighton has gotten back to the point where their record is comparable. TCU, to... and, TCU and, and Creighton's record are the exact same. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Creighton is 18 and 9, and TCU is 18 and 9. I mean, I would have no issue with TCU being in this conversation. I feel like Creighton, specifically comparing Creighton to the other Big East teams. Okay. They've also lost for both of those teams, by the way. Yes, which again is a check in the box of quality loss after quality loss after quality loss. But at some point, you got to win the games. You and, also and, have losses to Nebraska, BYU, and Arizona State. Yes, they had the really. Yes, if, they had. If the, you're actually a top four seed, you don't lose those games without Ryan Kalkbrenner. They you had don't. a very, they had a very bad stretch there. Yes. I'm just not sure what you're supposed to do if it's if you're not using the actual resume and you're using a hypothetical if Ryan Kalkbrenner was in the game. To me, it's more of a tiebreaker kind of thing. Do you feel like Xavier's resume at this point, with losses to DePaul and Butler, is that much stronger than Creighton's? Taking the Kalkbrenner context out of it. Um, I mean, I think it's comparable. Exactly. That's my point. I think Xavier has, I mean, yeah, but if it's comparable, you just have to pick one and the committee is just going to pick the team with more overall wins. They're just going to. And it's a team that they have the exact same record in the Big East. Yeah. And that's why I just fundamentally disagree. That, that's my point, is that I feel like it's close enough where you got to give Creighton the tiebreaker. Because, and I guess, I mean, okay, so then you get into the Wolf of Zach Fremantle's not there, and I, I get it. Again, this is, you know, making a bigger deal probably out of this than it needs to be. Nah, go I go for just, it. I'm here for it. I, I understand they had the bad stretch. Since then, they have been significantly better than Xavier. I mean, the the record would say that that's incorrect because both of them are twelve and four. Well, right, but part of that since they lost, Creighton lost their first two Big East games or something like that, right? Something like that. Since um, no, they didn't. Yeah, they lost their first one and then won three straight. Okay. They okay. lost three of their they lost three of their first six. Okay. Yeah. So since then. They're like what what is that? Nine and one since January fourteenth? Right. And that was an overtime loss at Providence. Mm-hmm. That part of it has to and I understand, right? It's overall but I I get that there is there is a a gaping hole in Creighton's resume in the form of that losing streak. Just Xavier, and that's where I'm fine if, if, you know, Marquette probably deserves to be ahead of them. I got no problem saying that. I, at this point, I'm, I'm just all in on Creighton, and I, I, I don't know yeah, what else that's, is, that's what this is really about. You pick Creighton it's for the part season of it, yeah. to, to put to go to the Final Four. This is why. This is what this is really about. I, I don't know you what else. You need them to be a better than five seed because that increases your chance. I'll still pick them. I don't care. I, really? Okay. I just, 
if they're not showing you what they are with Ryan with Ryan Culpepper at this point by going through the Big East this way, I at some point we got. I guess my big point here, and then I have two other two other things I want to mention. At some point, we have to care about bad losses, <laughs> right? And Creighton has four and, of them, and Creighton has some, and Xavier also has some. Yes, but but Creighton has some too. Yes, Creighton has yeah. just as many as Xavier, which and is it why doesn't I'm just matter saying, if they were in the Big East or not. Right. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying Creighton should be a three seed or anything. You keep saying things that make you that make me that that add up to Xavier is just as just as worthy of a four seed as Creighton is. Right. Which you give the tiebreaker to the team that's been way better at full strength. I just, like. Are you sure that Creighton has been better than Xavier at full strength? Well, the Fremantle thing makes it a different conversation. I guess what I'm really here for is Creighton's non-conference schedule. Even though they took some, I understand they took some bad losses in there. I... Can you hear the gears turning, guys? No, <laughs> I am. I like. I I. I also think you like, and I also just don't understand. Like, like I like I I will admittedly like I have no interest in trying to decide what the NCAA tournament, what the selection committee is going to try to do because, like people can write all day about how they've figured out what's important to the committee. Nobody really knows what's important yeah, to the no. committee because mm-hmm. it's different every single year. Yeah. That's why we write these articles when, when this top 16 come out, because you have to figure out every single year what the committee has decided is important to them right. that particular year, right. which is super frustrating. But like, what's the point of the net and a team sheet and like, all of these other things, if Creighton is 13 spots ahead of Xavier, 12 spots ahead of them in Kempom, and I haven't looked at the other ones, admittedly, because I don't especially care. But, like, I would just love for it to, to make a little bit more sense. Right. That's my point. Is that... Other than Xavier having a better quad one and two record. Right. Combined. And they both having a quad three loss. Right. They both have some bad losses. And maybe the, that's the answer. I think it's maybe just quad. It's, yeah, for some reason, there's an obsession with quad one wins. It seems. For some reason, wait, I mean, hold on. It's it's important. It's not the be all end all. Xavier is by definition better than Creighton from a quad perspective. By definition, in terms on, of in quad one and two, they are eleven and six, and Creighton is nine and eight. And they both have a quad three loss and yeah, have a loss sure, of four games. Sure. So maybe maybe it's maybe it doesn't need to be more difficult than that. I just don't understand how like that adds up to Xavier being thirteen spots behind Creighton. Mm-hmm. I just I, I I don't especially understand the predicting the predicting the tournament bracket is one of my least favorite things that we do before the tournament. Like I just wish we could like and I get that's that's all part of it. Like I just sound like a get off my lawn guy at this point, but <laughs> Like it sounds like to to the bracketologists who from day one of the tournament from of the year are like building out brackets and paying attention. Like I salute the heck out of you because there is not enough money in the world for me to do that job, and you just get yelled at all day. Yo, can you wait, Tennessee beat Kentucky and you have Kentucky over Tennessee? Oh yeah, that's a, I, the I mean, head that's to head example. Thing. But like you get my you, yes. like you get my point. Right? I it's can't like, stand oh, the head to head thing. How did how did Memphis drop when they lost to Houston, bro? How did Memphis lose when they dropped to Houston? Yeah. Bro, I saw that like twelve different times. 
across a bunch of different people's like like tweeting out their their brackets. Anyways, I guess um, I salute those people because yes. that sounds horrible. <laughs> Did you know that all bracketologists hate all three hundred and sixty three division one? Oh, teams? I mean, if you don't, you're not doing it right. That's exactly right. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, just I guess my my other point is that all quad one wins are not created equal, right? I understand it's trying to make them more equal. There's just there's some added context that gets missed when you just throw things into quad one, two, three, and four. The other two things I wanted to mention quickly. Why is the other thing I didn't really understand that you alluded to earlier? Uh, Indiana is six and seven in quad one. So that doesn't make any sense that they're there in the top 16. And what, 13th? They are 13th. Yeah, yes. They're the number one four seed. So how does that happen? <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, let's see. So the other teams kind of in conversation. We're talking UConn. We're talking Creighton. We're talking Miami. We're talking St. Mary's. Um, so if you if you just take let's just take those four teams for example, um, Indiana right six and seven. They're ten and eight in quad one and two. Six and seven in quad one, like you said. Um, if we were to jump. We already did Creighton, so Creighton is four and six in quad one. Um, so and nine and eight, we said in quad one and two. Um, Miami, the Canes. Let's see. Why is this backwards? Okay, we're here. We're here. Miami is six and four in quad one, nine and four in quad one and two. Um, I'm guessing the strength of schedule has something to do with it. That would be. That would be my guess there. They do have a quad three loss, which I'm not sure Indiana has one of those. I don't. I can't think of one off the top of my head if they do have one. Um, Indiana does not have a quad three loss. Um, and then we go, we talked about Creighton and then St. Mary's and the WCC. We'd also probably have to go. I mean, they only, they've only played three quad one games. There are, they're, they're eight and three in that, in that discussion they're also they also do have two quad three losses so two of their five losses are quad three yep. which probably knocks them down so the more like talking through it i kind of i, I get it i'm sure there are some other teams yukon creighton and miami and st mary's were the the four teams that i kind of kept seeing people talk about kind of in the conversation of who was just on the outside looking in so from mm-hmm. that perspective um there aren't any none of those four teams completely jump off the page to me but um, I wouldn't have an issue. I also saw that there were people who didn't have Indiana in and had St. Mary's in instead. So I, I I'm here for the conversation. Um, but at least from those four teams, nothing especially jumps off the page for me. Because that goes right. If we're going to care about quad one wins, then I can disagree with it and complain about it. It is what it is. And UConn and UConn mm-hmm. is six and six in quad one. So basically, yeah. right there with with. With Indiana, just the, the there's a massive difference in this from 13 to 16, right? It's not that I have a fundamental issue with Indiana being in. I just don't understand why Indiana's 13th. And then you mentioned St. Mary's. I was happy to see Gonzaga ahead of St. Mary's. Both of these teams have lost Loyola Marymount, so don't start talking to me about Gonzaga's bad loss. Mm-hmm. And you know Gonzaga's schedule because of their non-conference is just so much better that. You're you're essentially back to kind of strength of schedule, quality wins, tiebreaker, and Gonzaga's winning that eleven times out of ten. 
So mm-hmm. St. Mary's having a great season. They can still get themselves into this four seed conversation, right? Another win against Gonzaga, that kind of thing. But at this moment in time, to me, there's there's no discussion to be had about which of those teams has a better resume. And that comes with the perks of, of being Gonzaga and having that name on your chest instead of St. Mary's, just from a the kind of non-conference schedule you can put together perspective, right? When you look at St. Mary's sure, non-conference absolutely. schedule, mm-hmm. you know, the the marquee matchup was was Houston, one that they they lost. Um, the best win they had in non-conference from a Kempom perspective, um, San Diego State, um, but that but that's it. Um, and when you go to the Gonzaga side of things, like Gonzaga is a team that has a win over the number one overall seed, right? And mm-hmm. they have a win over Xavier, and they have a win over Kentucky, and they have a win over Michigan State, and they also just don't lose like the right that Loyola Marymount loss is a stinker. Their other losses are Texas, Purdue, Baylor, and St. Mary's. <laughs> right. Those are three teams that we just that we just talked about on the one and two lines. So um I got I I got no qualms with that. I think both teams are twenty three and five. Um so I got I got no issues there. No issues there. I'm not sure how I feel yeah, about that. I know I just kind seed. of ran, rambled. I, I'm not sure how I feel about the 16 seed practice. How do you feel about it? Are you like like do you find it helpful? Like do you just no. like does it? I would love like I would, and I'm sure bracketologists are. Well, it gives me a better chance at being more accurate because I get right. an idea of what of what people of what the committee is focused on, which is. Which so I'm sure if I was doing that as practice um, throughout the entire year that it would be very helpful in being able to adjust my kind of how my bracket is unfolding if if need be. So um, from that perspective, I'm sure it's it's helpful. But um, yeah, it's kind of it, it, I feel the same way about that that I feel about like four weeks out, you know, four or five weeks out from the end of the season, we start having the college football top twenty-five, you know, at halftime of a college game. I'm just kind of like okay, like. Like, is this important? Yeah, and of course it's more important when only four teams get into getting to get a chance to play for a national championship instead of sixty-eight. But um like 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 you know, one one bracketologist concluded his article with saying, and by the time you read this it'll be a moot point because you know, in two hours this is going to be different. And and there were right, cause look know, at, outcomes. Look that, at what already happened. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But hence that, the nature that was what of the I was season gonna, bracketology. That's what I was going to say is – right. And the difference between this and football, right? Football, at least the value is, okay, if these teams win out, that's your playoff pretty much. And if one of yeah. these teams loses, here's the next team in line. Mm-hmm. Where this is, right, we're going to unveil this. Then some of these teams are going to lose within a matter of hours. Then more of them are going to move lose in the middle of next week. And by the time you go try and do this again in seven days, it's going to look completely different. And a lot of the – right, if you're not – because I'm with you that I don't really enjoy this conversation. I would much rather just talk about what happens on the floor, get to the bracket, analyze the bracket, and then break down the tournament. You know, there, there actually is, is a value – here on the Jay Spurs podcast right, for the most part. Right, which is why we don't jump into bracketology all that much because, yeah, I – we can talk in circles about this kind of stuff all day. I really just, yeah, I, I don't put a lot of stock or investment into this. It's a thing that happens. I glance at it. 
oh, that's interesting. I, you know, I still disagree about the, the Creighton thing, but. And then we get 20 it, minutes on the pod about it. Right, right. You can talk about it. It's one of those things you can talk about it as long as you want, right? Mm. Whether there's, it's also one of those things that at this point is, right, moot because some of these teams have already lost. And right. it's all going to work itself out because some of these teams are going to play each other, right? If Creighton deserves to end up on the four line or the three line, that's going to happen by the way they perform the rest of the season. If St. Mary's is going to catch Gonzaga, they're going to have, right, they're going to have the opportunity to do that. And then we get to the seeds. And at that point, it doesn't really matter all that much whether you're a three or a four or a five, you know, eventually, right, your matchups change a little bit, but yeah. There you go. I'm with you. You got anything else? No, I think my emotional energy is spent at this point. All right, man, it's only nine a.m. That is that is an early day. That is an early time for your emotional energy to already be spent. But um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I disagree with you. That's all we got for you today. Um, please subscribe to the Jason Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jason Days Pod, and we'll be back at the end of the week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jason Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.